Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study begins with Revelation chapter 4. With Revelation 4, we begin to uh, enter upon the very beginning of the vision itself, the vision that will take us from chapter 4 through chapter 22 in the book. Now, if we read in Revelation as a story, as we mentioned briefly last time, we might have expected the the story to end at the end of chapter 3. After all, the first story begins in Revelation 1-9, with John being told to write in a book what he sees and descend into the seven churches. Chapters 2 and 3 contain those seven letters to the seven churches, and after all, then the book seems to be finished. The story begins, and the story now ends. But chapter 4 then seems to open up another story. After these things, verse 1 says, I looked, and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now we'll note the connections between the second story, which begins with John being taken up into heaven and seeing something new, uh, and the first story. First off, the, the first voice that he had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with him said, Come up here. That must be the same voice that he heard in chapter 1, verse 9 and following, where he was told to write in a book what he sees. And he turned to see the voice that was speaking with him, and he turned and he saw Jesus. Secondly, we note that chapter 3 ended with a promise to the one who overcomes that Jesus would grant him to sit down with him on his throne, just as he had overcome and sat down with the Father on his throne. And now we're taken up into heaven, and we see God sitting on a throne. So these stories might be independent stories in some senses, but at the same time, they're very much interconnected. We mentioned last time as well that the promise to overcome that runs through the book of Revelation will continue to run through chapters 4 through 22. The themes and the ideas that began in chapters 1 through 2 and 3 will continue to flourish and blossom throughout chapters 4 through 22. Now chapters 4 and 5 is then a throne vision report. The throne itself becomes the central symbol of the book. Many think that the key to the book of Revelation is understanding the beast and the dragon and, and all the, uh, the bloodshed and all the uh, 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 judgments of God upon the world. No, the key to understanding the book of Revelation is the one on the throne and, of course, as we'll meet in chapter 5, the lamb. The word throne occurs, occurs 47 times in the book of Revelation, but only 62 times in the entire New Testament. That is, 47 out of 62 occurrences of the word throne appears in the book of Revelation. The key question of the book, then, is who rules? Who's in charge? Pergamum, we're told in chapter 2, verse 13, is where Satan has his throne. In Revelation 13, verse 2, we see that the beast receives authority from the dragon's throne. In chapter 16, verse 10, we see the throne of the beast. But all these pale in comparison to God who sits in the throne, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, as he's referred to in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. 
Now, another key to understand in the book of Revelation is the fact that this throne occurs in heaven in chapter 4. John has to be taken up into heaven to the throne. But we're going to notice very carefully that in Revelation 21 and 22, the throne comes down from heaven. This is, of course, the key fulfillment of Jesus' promise to us in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The throne of God, which is in heaven in chapter 4 and chapter 5, comes down to the earth in 21 and 22, just as we were told to pray every single day. The question then in the book of Revelation is, what is needed? What must occur so that the throne of God in heaven can come down to the earth? Now, many might suggest that evil has to be destroyed before God's throne can come down to the earth. And though in a sense that's obviously true, that's not going to be the central theme in the book of Revelation. Ultimately, the nations must be redeemed. Remember, the idea in the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve sinned and were expelled from God's presence. The question of the scripture really is, is what's needed? What's going to transpire so that mankind's presence can be restored back to the presence of God? Uh, How do we get back into God's presence? And we know the answer, of course, biblically. It's we repent. Uh, But obviously, there's much more to it. The Lamb uh, must come, must be slain, must rise from the dead, and must defeat and overcome evil and overcome and de- defeat and overcome death. The question then in Revelation that we're going to continue to center on is how in the world are the nations going to be redeemed? It's the redemption of the nations, in fact, that flow into the new Jerusalem. So chapters 4 and 5, we're going to see this one sitting on the throne. In chapter 4, the one sitting on the throne is going to receive worship. In chapter 5, it's going to be the Lamb who's standing next to the throne. And he is going to receive the exact same worship that the Father received in chapter 4. In fact, the creatures responsible for worshiping the Father in chapter 4 are going to give their worship to the Lamb in chapter 5. Now, as we look at the description of God's throne, let's pick it up in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. It says, He who was sitting was one like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders, sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. From the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature was like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when loving creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. They'll worship him who lives forever and ever. And they'll cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. As we examine the description of God who sits on the throne, we're going to notice that there's these concentric circles around the throne. There are four living creatures in the innermost circle. Around them are 24 elders, uh, maybe angelic beings, uh, and then angels. And then every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and on the sea. Now, Revelation chapters 4 through 22 are simply not simply a description of what's going to take place in the future. We're going to notice that Revelation chapters 4 through 22 describe things that are happening in the past, things that are happening in the present, and things that will happen in the future. In chapter 4, the absolute sovereignty of God is being affirmed. 
In chapter 5, it's going to be the absolute sovereignty of Jesus that's going to be affirmed. Now, the description begins in what we might call a heavenly worship scene. There's going to be this uh, uh, connection between Daniel chapter 7, verses 6 through 27, as the background, forming the background for Revelation chapters 4 and 5. In fact, if you look carefully at Daniel 7, verses 6 through 27, you'll notice that there are about 14 items that occur in the same basic order as Revelation chapters 4 and 5, describing God who sits on the throne. Furthermore, Revelation 4, 1 through 5, 1 seems to follow the outline of Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and following, and Ezekiel chapters 1 and 2. But interestingly, chapter 5, verses 2 through 14 of the book of Revelation will continue that outline of Daniel chapter 7, but will not continue the outline of Ezekiel chapters 1 and 2. This passage begins with the door standing open in heaven. Uh, the, the text itself probably reads as though God is the one who opens the door, and entering the realm of the revealed. After this, John says, I, I, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Now, some will take the phrase after this or after these things to mean that uh, after the chapters 2 and 3 are completed, then chapter 4 happens, meaning after the seven letters occur, then the events in chapter 4 and, and following begin to take place. But that's probably not the best way to understand the word, the phrase after this. Uh, it probably refers to the order in which John saw things, uh, the order within the vision and not the order in which the events occur on earth. In other words, it's story time order, not chronological time order. The first voice, which we mentioned already that John heard, like the sound of a trumpet, said, come up here, must also, of course, must, of course, be the voice of Jesus. I'll show you what take, must take place after these things or after this, which we noted in chapter one. It's probably a reference to the book of Daniel again, noting that what Daniel prophesied would happen in the last days is being fulfilled among us. The throne of God in heaven parallels greatly then Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Uh, let me pull that passage up. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 says, Now above the expanse there was over their heads, there was something like a resembling a throne, with lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man, that I noticed from the appearance uh, of his loins, and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. And as the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on, a, on my face and heard a voice speaking. So again, notice the parallels of our Old Testament context, Ezekiel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 7. Now, we'll note carefully in Revelation chapter 4 that there's actually no description of God himself actually given. Only his majesty and the splendor that surrounds him. There's a rainbow and there's a jasper stone and a sardius. Now, around the throne, it says, were 24 other thrones. Now, the suggestion as to what these 24 other thrones could represent are imaginable. And uh, some say it's the church in totality, the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. Uh, some say there are 24 orders of priests. And some say the representatives of all the saints or uh, angels or stars or Old Testament saints. Interestingly, the number 24 is never used in any other apocalyptic literature. But that makes sense. Remember, John is writing, and by reading the Old Testament in light of its fulfillment in Jesus. In the Old Testament, the number 12 was important. 12 represents the number for the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, of course. But in the New Testament, 12 is going to be combined. The 12 tribes of the Old Testament with the 12 apostles of the New Testament. We'll see in chapter 7 reference to a 144,000. That's the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints multiplied together. The New Jerusalem is going to have walls that are 144 cubits thick. That's 12 times 12. 
In this description, however, it's not 12 times 12, but 12 plus 12. Very likely, then, in my opinion, the reference to the 24 thrones refers to the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 patriarchs, and indeed the 12 apostles. They're clothed in white garments, it says, and we know that white garments references the righteous acts of the saints later on in the book of Revelation. Um, now, the seven lamps were blazing before the throne, it says, uh, and the seven lamps are associated with the Spirit of God in the book of Zechariah. We saw the idea of the seven spirits of God in Revelation chapter 1, and again, perhaps it refers to the seven spirits of God being the sevenfold spirit, being a reference indeed to the Holy Spirit. Then it says there was lightning and sounds and thunder. This reminds us of the book of Exodus of God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now this reference to lightning, sounds, and thunder is going to be very important because key uh, uh, sections in the book of Revelation will be marked by the re repetition of this phrase. However, the phrase is not going to be just repeated exactly. It's going to be uh, elongated in each occurrence. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, it says, There was from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Then in chapter 8, verse 5, it says, There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flash of lightning, and an earthquake. Notice no earthquake in Revelation 4, verse 5. Of course, it would make sense that there's no earthquake because John's being taken into heaven. But nonetheless, the repetition of this phrase by adding an earthquake occurs in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. Then notice Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. At the end of the seventh trumpet, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and heavy hail. Then in chapter 16, verses 18 and 21, it's, we're going to see the phrase, there, was, there came flash of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a violent earthquake, such as not occurred since people were upon the earth. So violent was the earthquake. Then skipping down to verse 21. And huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, dropped from heaven on the people. So what we're going to notice then is the repetition of this phrase. And each time it's repeated, it's going to be elongated. The first time occurs with the throne of God in heaven. The second time it occurs at the end of the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. The third time it occurs is at the end of the seventh trumpet, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. And the fourth time it occurs is at the end of the seventh bowl, Revelation chapter 16, verses 18 and 21. In other words, the repetition of the phrase, lightning, sounds, and thunder, and then how it's elongated with an earthquake and heavy hail, uh, serves as a significant marker for, uh, for, uh, as the story proceeds in the book of Revelation. John says, I saw a sea of glass. Uh, various proposals that might identify what the sea of glass might mean. Barriers separating God from his otherness, or a, 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 maybe a reflecting pond that shows his majesty, or maybe a, a hostile threat that is tamed. Remember, uh, in the scriptures, a sea often represents chaos. Sea had to be re <clears throat> removed in the book of Genesis so that God could separate the waters from the land and form uh, mankind upon the waters. The sea, of course, is referring chaos in the flood of Noah that re restores the, the earth back to its primitive state, its uncreated state. In the book of Revelation, then, we're going to see the sea as a, a hostile threat. In fact, Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old uh, heaven and old earth passed away, and behold, there was no longer any sea. Then Don says that before the throne, in verses 6 through 8, uh, he, he sees four living creatures. The four living creatures appear to represent all of creation, the wild animals, the domesticated animals, the, human, the humanity, and birds. Now, this brings up the number four that we haven't mentioned yet to this point in time. The number four in the book of Revelation is going to be used very commonly representing all of creation. The earth is going to have four directions or four winds uh, of the earth. And so the idea of there being four creatures probably refers to all of, create, all of the created animals.
Now, these four living creatures are hard to identify. They appear to maybe be angelic beings. After all, they appear to be related to the cherubim of, uh, of Ezekiel chapter 1, 10, uh, and, and the seraphim of, of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. In Ezekiel, each of the creatures have four faces. In Revelation, they each have six wings, just like they did in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Revelation, however, the throne of God doesn't have any wheels like it does in the book of, uh, of Ezekiel. In Revelation, they sing as they did in the book of Isaiah, whereas in Ezekiel, these angelic creatures are silent. Now, each one uh, is described as being like a cat, like a lion, like a calf, like a man, and like an eagle. And though there are many, many solutions as to what they represent, the likelihood is that they simply represent um, all of the created uh, realm and all of the created animals, including humanity. Now it says, day and night, they do not cease to proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. God receives worship simply because of who he is. I think it's really important to stop here for a moment. You know, sometimes we talk about worshiping God in churches on Sundays or whatever, whenever, uh, wherever you may go to church. And we talk about giving God worship because he did this for me or because he's our savior or because he did that. Or uh, Oftentimes, our worship of God is predicated upon what God has done for us. But in the book of Revelation, God is worshiped simply because of who he is. You are worthy because of who you are. You are the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, it goes on, however, to describe God being worthy, not just because he is sovereign and holy and because of what he has done, but because he is the one who has created all things. Verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. God is worthy of worship because of who he is and because of what he has done. As a result, the 24 elders will fall down before the, him who sits on the throne, and they'll worship him who lives forever and ever, and they'll cast their crowns before the throne. Again, noting if the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 apostles of the New Testament, that they have crowns, which fits with John's description of the people of God. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and we will reign upon the earth. However, we will take those crowns upon being in the presence of God upon his throne, and we'll cast them before the throne, saying, you are worthy. You are worthy of worship because of who you are and because of what you have done. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.